This is an ABC podcast. Hello, I'm Lisa Leong, and I'm at the ABC office for the very first time in oh, a couple of months, and it feels weird to be back. Okay, stop. Do you have any flu-like symptoms? If yes, do not proceed. Leave the premises and contact your manager immediately. I am feeling good. Healthiest I've ever been. So it's very much a strange feeling being back in the office because it feels it's kind of same, same, but different. I mean, it's certainly quieter, but we do know that things won't snap back to the way they were exactly. Today on This Working Life, we're looking at the return to the office. First up, Deloitte's Claire Harding. Now her claim to fame is transitioning the consulting firm's 10,000 staff to working from home in a week. Yes, indeed, we did manage to get everybody into a remote environment within a week, which we were very proud of. And, and one of the reasons we were able to do that was the preparation we'd done in advance, which was not intended for a pandemic, but it was actually about two things. One was our flexible working policy. We have a very uh, forward-looking flexible working policy, which is good for all employees. And we have implemented a virtual office which is capabilities, technologies, and frankly, mindsets for people to work virtually. So that all means that our people could move into a virtual environment really quickly. Now, that's all relevant for how we're going to go forward. Um, and our view of, of where things are going is we're going to be moving into what we're calling a hybrid working environment. Our hybrid is we're thinking about that as a combination of people who are working on site, so that be at an office um, in a in a site of a company, coupled with people who are working from home, and so in a virtual environment. And so, people may be having, let's say, they're having a meeting together. Um, there'll be people, maybe two or three people, who are in a meeting room together, and two or three people mm -hmm. who are on their computers or dialing into that meeting. Now, there's nothing unusual about that relative to how things were in the past. It's just it's going to be happening all the time. And so what we want to do is make sure those meetings work really well. So those environments work really well so that people feel included, they feel involved, they can put their point of view and you can get a really high performing team in that kind of environment where otherwise you might have a sort of in crowd, out crowd or slightly dysfunctional team if you don't do it well. So we've been thinking about small techniques like if you're running a meeting and it's part in office part out, out at home, that you have a one screen per person policy or approach. And, and that means that everybody dials in from one screen and so that you use the virtual environment to get everybody together, to talk well, to exchange ideas, to use your collaboration tools when you're having the meeting so that then you don't have a sense of all the decisions are being made in the office. So if you're not in there, you're not in the decision making process. And Claire, what percentage of your workforce is working from an office at this point in time? So currently we have approximately 95% of our people working from home and about 5% of our people working in an office environment. And then how do you decide who's coming into the office and who's not? Is it a matter of choice or do you have rosters? So at the moment, what we're doing is we're taking a pilot approach to looking at that because what we've found is there are, there are people who would like to be in the office and are more productive there. There are people who would like to be at home and are more productive there. And for us, it's all about how we work well with the companies that we work with. And so what we're doing at the moment is actually piloting some different approaches of both 
choosing who goes into the office and rostering to see what actually works for us in different environments because I don't think for us it'll be a one-size-fits-all. Deloitte Chief Transformation Officer Claire Harding. But not everybody is on board with this new normal at work. Uh, My name is Heather and I work for a not-for-profit organisation. COVID-19 has changed the way that I work. My job would normally be pre-COVID, five days a week, nine to five, in an office, a busy office, full of people, surrounded by my colleagues. Since COVID, the, the very start of it, we started working from home full time. And then we've been able to come to work a couple of days a week on an A and B team rotor so that we stay safe and so there aren't too many people in the office. And there are health and safety checks, temperature checks and wellness checks that have to be done every day. So it really has changed the way that we work. I have to say, when COVID first broke, I was very happy to have a job, and I still am extremely happy to have a job. As far as benefits to the new way of working are concerned, I can't think of any. Before COVID struck, I would say that I was one of the people in the office who really didn't join in very much with things. I wasn't one of the people who would always be going for lunch or for coffee with people, and I wouldn't always be joining in with the conversation. So this came as a big surprise to me. But what I missed was that office interaction in the background. So I have enjoyed hearing things going on over the barricade and my colleagues talking. I may not have joined in with it. But I now realize that that was a very essential part of my day. And it was pretty essential to my happiness and sense of well-being as well. And when it went, when I had to work from home, I didn't enjoy just having my own company. And I have to say that, yeah, I've, I have even missed the people I don't particularly like. <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Heather. The concerns that I have about our return to normal work where I am is that things may change forever because of COVID and we may be expected to work from home. I wouldn't like to work from home part-time. I like being in the office and the thought that things might change and I might have to work from home part of the time doesn't fill me with any level of joy at all, I'm afraid. It's different strokes for different folks in the return to work stakes, as Jules Hall, founder of advertising company The Hallway, discovered when he surveyed his staff. 97% of our team enjoy working from home. 83% of them feel they are more productive working from home. Now, the one that was really interesting was, in parallel, 70% of them also miss working in an office environment. So what we got to was this very simple core thought, which was pre-COVID, work was a place you went. Today, work is a thing you do, and it doesn't actually matter where you do it. But what does matter is that we maintain our communication rhythm. And so what we're doing, and it's let's have a chat in a year's time and see if it works, but the, the hypothesis is strong at this point in time, is we're saying to staff, you don't have to come back to the office. What you do have to do, though, is you have to be on the nine o'clock news and the five o'clock news, and you've got to have your camera on for video call. And if you would like to use the office, it's there for your use. The nine and five news he refers to is the all-staff video conference meeting he has, which he says has actually improved communication at his company. So our observation is that our people are doing great work. They're just doing it in different places, all sorts of different places. 
not necessarily in a single office. So there's times where you want to have a group of people in a room together. And that should be possible. It might be if you're having a particular meeting with, might be a brainstorming session or you're meeting some new clients for the first time. There's benefit in having that in a face-to-face context. Or you want to bring the company together physically and there's value in doing that on a certain time period. But the day-to-day work is working really smoothly and really effectively, and I would argue more efficiently than a remote model. And based on the stats we're getting from our staff, they're enjoying it, which is the fundamental point. People don't like it. It doesn't matter how smoothly it works. They don't like it. They're not going to stick with it. But I do think as well, it's really important to say, I don't think remote working 100% replaces the need for physical face-to-face interaction. I think it can replace a lot more of it than we realized was possible. However, I think there's so much that you miss when you're not meeting face-to-face. People's body languages, it's very relaxed when you meet somebody face-to-face. They feel that they've got your complete time. You're not sitting in separate areas looking at each other's offices in the background. When you meet with somebody in an actual face-to-face meeting, you've both committed to that time and you've both committed to each other and to each other's organization. And I think that's that's very positive. And I think good though the phone and things like Zoom and FaceTime are, they don't replace that, that, that actual commitment to be in the same geographical location as another person and give them your undivided time and attention. I'm Lisa Leong. You're listening to This Working Life, where we talk work without all the jargon. Really, it's a no-brainer to apply blue sky thinking as we peel the onion with the experts crushing it in their field. Listen to the end. This will all make more sense. The Australian HR Institute recently did its own survey about how people feel about returning to their place of work. CEO Sarah McCann-Bartlett. We had over 420 HR practitioners responding to the survey, and so they would be covering tens of thousands of workers. What did you find? We found that um, almost half of Australian workers are worried about their health and safety when they're returning to the workplace. And what aspect of that were they worried about in terms of health and safety? Well, they were worried about all sorts of things, including their travel to the workplace, because a lot of us who travel into the city actually have to take public transport. And if you decided to drive to work, what's the traffic going to be like and what about the parking? And then if you go further as you're entering the building, a lot of people are very nervous about um, going up in the lift because Mm. it's difficult to maintain social distancing in a lift and um, you're reliant on somebody else to actually do the cleaning. So what does this mean for employers? In particular, how might employers support employees emotionally, Sarah? Yes, there is the physical return to the workplace in terms of um, temperature testing, uh, one-way systems walking around the office, additional cleaning and 
no longer uh, hot desking and maintaining social distancing, but employee mental health is a really um, big issue because it has been an anxious time for so many people and returning to work after being at home for such a long time, working from a home workplace for such a long time is another change and one that we um, might be anxious about. So there are a lot of things that employers um, can do, but the most important thing is to ask their employees, what are they worried about? What are the issues that they might be nervous about? And how are they feeling about returning to the physical workplace? A lot of employers are doing what we call pulse surveys. So these are very short surveys on a regular basis, even as regular as every week, to find out what people are feeling. So the first thing is to understand what people's individual circumstances are. And what are your thoughts about choice versus a roster? I actually think that um, what we're really seeing is we're seeing an employee a move to an employee-driven workplace. So before COVID-19, a lot of employers did have flexible working practices, but they tended to be more on the employer's terms rather than the employee's terms. And I think what we're going to see is that employees are going to drive the flexible work agenda from now on. And if some of them are in roles that can be work done flexibly or can be done from home, and it still provides the business outcomes and the team is able to manage that, that employers are going to be much more flexible. Do you think our workplaces will ever return to how we knew them before the pandemic then, Sarah? No, I think businesses have um, changed, I think, in a number of ways. I think in terms of a greater f flexibility and understanding of individual employee needs, I also think that business models have had to change during COVID-19. We've had to be much more innovative around the way we think about our businesses and the sort of services we provide and how we provide them to our customers. And that's been, in some ways, um, a really positive element of COVID-19, that businesses have realised that they can be innovative and change their uh, product services and delivery modes. And um, the other thing is that there are government policies uh, now around things like um, advanced manufacturing um, and security of supply chains. So, the demand for products and services in the wider community or the wider economy is also going to change. So, all of those things mean that our workplaces will never go back to what they were. Sarah McCann-Bartlett, the CEO of the Australian HR Institute. You're listening to This Working Life on Radio National. I'm Lisa Leong, today exploring how we manage our return to the office. Joining me now is Jim Stanford. Jim is an economist and the director of the Centre for Future Work, which is based at the Australia Institute. Now, Jim, you're taking remote work into a whole new level. Where are you? I'm on the other side of the Pacific Ocean, Lisa. So, yeah, that is remote working. I, what uh, usually, I usually divide my time between Canada and Australia, and I was on the Canadian side of the ocean when the music stopped and the planes <sighs> stopped flying. So here I am for a little while yet. So, Jim, will employees expect more from their employers and leaders now uh, when people are returning to work, as we heard a little bit with Sarah? 
I think so. Uh, I think we've learned that this is actually a really dangerous moment. We're all glad that we flattened the curve as uh, successfully as we did in Australia. But the risk of subsequent waves of infection is clearly very high. And workplaces uh, are one of the most dangerous places for spreading infection just because of the proximity that you have with other people. So I think that lots of Australians are worried about going back to work, and rightly so. And uh, it's incumbent on employers and on government uh, regulators, occupational health and safety people, and so on, to make sure that this is done right, that we don't rush into reopening, you know, as part of some grand campaign to pretend that we can get back to normal. Uh, This is the new normal, if I can say that, where we're dealing with the risk of infection at all times, and we're going to have to adjust our working practices accordingly. And how important is, during this process of returning to work, that employees are given a choice between working at home and coming into the office, Jim? Well, uh, the working at home issue is very interesting, at least. I think the first thing we have to remember is most people can't work at home. You know, there's been a lot of discussion about the issues related to working at home. But by our estimates, only about 30% of Australians could conceivably do their jobs at home. And by and large, those are uh, managers and professionals and other white-collar workers who, you know, would have worked in an office, mostly on a computer. And, you know, frankly, that isn't most people. Most people have to go out to their job. So working at home has been an important cushion, but it's no panacea. For those who have been able to work at home, I think they'll face pros and cons, you know, a bit of a balancing act. Uh, On the one hand, yeah, they don't have to commute. They can wear their pajamas. They can, you know, watch Netflix at lunch. On the other hand, there are real drawbacks to working at home. It's it's lonely. You don't get the same benefit of interaction with your colleagues. For working parents, it's an impossible juggling act, really, to think that you're trying to combine uh, childcare or care for other family members with trying to do your job. And there's also some issues, I think, about fairness. You know, I'm concerned, for example, employers think, you know, Everyone working at home will just have a little extra room that they go into, set up an office and close the door. That's dreaming in technicolor. Uh, Very few Australians have extra space, extra rooms around the house. And if we're really going to set people up for proper work at home, where they can be efficient and safe and productive, then employers are going to have to help with that, I think, in terms of compensation for space and uh, office equipment, furniture, utilities, uh, that kind of thing. So those are some of the issues that we're going to have to tackle if this work at home thing becomes more of a permanent trend. So you mean dealing with this at a more structural level, Jim? I think partly partly at a structural level, yeah. I think, for example, I think we need the Fair Work Commission to come out clearly uh, in terms of the modern awards that apply to the sorts of uh, industries and occupations where work at home is common. They should come out clearly with, I think, a a very kind of benchmark idea of what fair compensation is required for people who are working at home to cover the costs of the space and utilities and so on. And also some very clear expectations on what's reasonable in terms of working hours. So I I would like to see some structural guidelines and regulations put in place. Uh, I think it's something that trade unions will have to take up uh, in order to protect uh, members who are working at home and something employers are going to have to be wise about. Instead of thinking you can crack the whip on people while they're working at home, they're going to have to recognize some of the trade-offs and some of the challenges that are involved in that. And we need to think about the flip side as well. So we often think about employees demanding a right to work from home, but maybe in the future we need to consider employees demanding a right to work from an office. 
Oh, I, I think you're 100 percent right, Lisa, and and that does sound kind of surprising, doesn't it? You know, uh, mm. an employee getting all riled up because I want to go back to work. You know, well, <laughs> I've been I've been working at home with my family, and I love my family dearly. But I got to tell you, there's days it drives me absolutely nuts, and I would much rather you know be working at an office. And uh, I think there's lots of places where. In fact, em- employees, workers are, are going to have to say, listen, you know, if I'm going to do this job, you can't expect me to do it on my kitchen table forever. And this will be important because there may be some employers who think, oh, this is a great deal. You know, look how much I'm spending on real estate in downtown in a big city. Uh, if I can get everyone working at home, I can cut that in half. And that may be tempting, but I'm not sure that it's sustainable. Uh, especially given the you know the discussion you had with Sarah earlier about issues like hot desking and so on, all of those shared office space options I think are off the table for the foreseeable future. So you know I think employers are going to have to recognize that it's it's still up to them, despite the possibilities of working from home. They're still going to have to run formal workplaces that remain the center of gravity for the work that they undertake. When people do return to the external workplace, do the protections which are available to them need to be reevaluated? Uh, I think some of them, uh, some of them will. You know, I mean, in theory, uh, the existing provisions, say around occupational health and safety, um, uh, in theory, should cover the risk of infection from uh, from COVID nineteen mm. or other um, other infectious diseases, and the requirements on employers for duty of care of uh, people that they employ. Uh, would still apply. In fact, uh, just to come back to the working from home thing, those duty of care requirements clearly cover people working at home as well. If you're working at home for money for an employer, the employer is still responsible for your health and safety while you're working. Um, So, you know, in theory, those things are there. In practice, I am worried that they won't be adequately enforced and adequately respected. Um, I think when the pandemic was uh, just getting rolling, I think initially we took it for granted that a lot of workers in different jobs, you know, it was just natural that they would face some kinds of infection. And that's where we ended up seeing some of the outbreaks and obviously in healthcare facilities, but in other places, taxi drivers, uh, how on earth can a taxi driver do their job safely or a ride share driver, an Uber driver in a situation where community contagion is occurring? Uh, Food processing workers, we've seen some terrible uh, outbreaks. Um, and other jobs where people are in close proximity. It should have been a no-brainer that those were high-risk settings, and I don't think employers and uh, government regulators moved quickly enough to protect those workers. And uh, I think we're going to have to get a lot more stringent on those issues, or else we'll see further outbreaks down the road. And Jim, is it unrealistic to expect returning to work to ever be the same as before the pandemic? It will not be the same. I mean, you know, uh, it's a, a kind of a human uh, a human nature thing, I guess, that memories fade uh, for the first while after this pandemic. Everybody's going to be on edge. And, you know, uh, unless there's a whole new outbreak of a new disease in another year or two, you know, eventually people are going to get less worried about that. It's kind of the same thing that happens after, say, one of these grand financial meltdowns that the economy seems to experience every few years. For the first year or two, investors are very, very cautious. Then they start to get exuberant, and then they start gambling like there's no tomorrow. (laughs) So, you know, there'll be a certain tendency for people to relax. But um, I think that that would be a mistake. And I think there are ways in which the pandemic has shown that the way we organized work and protected workers was inadequate. Uh, 
a good example is this uh, whole trend towards precarious work. Think of all the people in the economy who work two or three or even four different jobs. Uh, that's not a good way to work, period. But at a moment where you're concerned about spreading infection, it's a recipe for disaster. So those are some of the practices that I think we're going to have to rethink very carefully after COVID-19 and hopefully build a world of work that's better than the one we had before the pandemic hit. Thank you, Jim. Thank you, Lisa. Jim Stanford, economist and the director of the Centre for Future Work. But I even dropped a couple buzzwords in there. Did you notice that? Oh, clever. I, I, I love totally it. did. There's at least two and maybe three, depending on <laughs> how you define Thanks for playing. <laughs> <laughs> You're really taking this to heart. Oh, you'll, you'll hear it when you go back. When you go back and listen, I honestly, I can't think of it right now because but at the moment, in my own head, I was saying, yes. And you can say yes to play Business Buzzword Bingo with us. All the cards and the information are on our program page. And this is the last week, so do get your entries in by Wednesday, June the 10th. The winner gets to chat with me on the show. And if you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts today, please take a second to rate and review the show. It helps others find us. And a quick shout out to our listeners in Bangalore, Oslo and Tokyo. Thanks for tuning in. This Working Life is produced by Maria Tickle, who's dusted off her real clothes to come into the office today. Nice one, Tickle. I'm Lisa Leong, and until next week, keep working. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.